We will be in the Gospel of John, chapter 4, this morning, picking up where we left off last week. Last week we were uh, seeing how that uh, John the Baptist was baptizing, and then uh, some distance away uh, the disciples of Jesus were baptizing. And uh, it says that... uh, after that, um, there in, in verse 1 of chapter 4, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria um, to um, get a good picture of what's going on here. Judea is in the south. It includes uh, Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and all points to the south and east over to the Jordan. And Samaria lies just to the north of that. And then Galilee is to the north of Samaria, You have the valley of uh, Megiddo that goes in there on the north side of Samaria, and you cross that valley, and then you're in the Galilee area. The Galilee area meaning that it's around the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus was from Nazareth, if you remember. Nazareth is to the, the west of the Sea of Galilee. So that sort of gives a, the picture here. And um, it just says that Jesus left Judea. We don't know for sure just where he was, but probably near Jerusalem somewhere. And uh, he went to Galilee, or he departed to go there. But it says he needed to go through Samaria. And you might read that and you think, well, you know, you have Judea, Samaria, Galilee. Why don't you just go straight? Um, in those days, they didn't do that. And and I'll fill you in a little bit more detail in a moment. But when you as a Jew were traveling either from the Galilee going south or from Judea going north, you would go all the way down to the Jordan River which was about 17 miles in the wrong direction. And then you would go up the, the river, and then you would go back again and up into the hill country. of. Uh, in other words, you would go around it. It would be like if you're going to Hamilton down here from Stephenville, well, the Shortest way, just get on the highway right out here and just zip through Heiko and just keep going. But if you were in Israel, no, you'd go from Stephenville, you'd go to Granbury, and then you'd go way east off over here and around and then finally make it. And that's what they did. And there was a reason for that. Well, I'll get to it in just a moment. Um, But he said he needed to go through Samaria. And when you really stop and think about 
everything that Jesus did, it was methodical. It was, uh, it was like before Jesus came and uh, grew up that the counsel of God outlined every day of his life. And that you're going to be here, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. And it's going to end the last day in Jerusalem on a cross. And while I, I know the Bible doesn't say that that's what's ha- happening, it's almost like, yes, it did. Because it, there were specific days and times in the life of Jesus that it's like... Uh, this couldn't have happened unless it was divinely appointed. And I say that to say that you as a believer in Jesus, I believe with all my heart, I can't believe it, I mean, I can't, uh, I can't uh, explain it, I can't prove it, but I, I believe that every one of us has appointed days. In appointed times, um, you think back on your life and the events that surrounded you becoming a Christian. And have you ever thought about how that uh, you met a certain person or you went to a church on a certain day, you heard a certain sermon or message, a certain piece of scripture? And had had the scripture been some other scripture, it wouldn't have spoken to you. But on that day, that particular, in that church, that particular pastor, that particular piece of scripture spoke to your heart. I, I think God is in charge of what's going on a whole lot more than what we recognize. And Jesus needed to go to Samaria. He had an appointment, a divine appointment that he knew that he had to make. And he came in verse 5 to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey sat thus by the well, it was about the sixth hour. Now, I find it very interesting. We're talking about Jesus, and it says that he was wearied from his journey. A lot of times we get the picture that Jesus, because he was God, that he had exclusively divine attributes the entire time that he walked upon the earth. Well, uh, you have to remember, he was both God and man at the same time. He was fully man, and he was fully God. He wasn't just half God and half man. He, He was completely man, and he was completely God at the same time. And you say, how did he do that? Because he's God. <laughs> uh, I can't explain it. I, I don't know. But that's, that's who he was. That's what he was. 
And we're reminded of the humanity of Jesus here when it says he got weary. And I can remember years ago when I first read that, I thought, Jesus got tired. And and I've thought about that for days. And I, I thought, well, that means he's just like me. Well, maybe not quite, because I stay tired. <laughs> he got tired. Um, that makes him relatable. I can relate to my God who can relate to me. He, whenever I, I pray to the Lord and I say, Lord, I am so tired. I just... I'm give out, and I don't think I can make it. I don't think I can do it. And he, if if I can hear from him, I, I I don't have a private phone line to him. But if I could, I can hear him say, "That's okay. I know exactly how you feel." Um, I, I've been there a few times, and at this point, he was wearied. Uh, so much so that he sent his disciples on ahead into town to buy food, which tells me he was probably hungry. But yet, at the same time, he knew that his only uh, need uh, wasn't just, you know, to get a bite to eat and some water at the well. He needed to be at that well at a specific time. And it was Jacob's well. Verse 7, A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Now we go back to when it says he needed to go to Samaria. I believe that he needed to go so he could meet that woman. And he knew what her need was. And he needed to be there at that specific time, not a few minutes earlier or later, at that specific time of that specific day in order to meet her coming to the well. And did you know that Jesus knows exactly what you need even though you don't know it? He knows exactly what you need. And he knows when you need it. He knows what you've been through. He knows where you've been. We read here that his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you'd have just known, if you'd have asked for what you really need. And isn't that just like us when we encounter the Lord we try to play games, you know, and we skirt around the real issue. And Jesus, he didn't do that. He just, whew, 
just like he pulled out that sword and just, ah, you know, right to the heart. If you knew the gift, if you knew the gift that you needed, if you knew the gift of God, and he calls it the gift. In other words, it's, it's free. God doesn't charge us for his gift of salvation, his gift of love, giving us Jesus. He doesn't charge us. It's a gift. And and yet, he has such a hard time giving it to us because we don't ask. We, 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 we think we know better. And yet, we don't know. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, before we go on any further, I want to give a little background to why she would say that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans and why this whole thing is so uh, fascinating that Jesus would go there and how that Jews avoided that area. And um, when you understand this, uh, the story just uh, unfolds. You have to go back a thousand years before this time to the time of King David. King David became the king of Israel. And he started a dynasty. Uh, The Bible said that the Messiah, when he comes, will come from the offspring and lineage of David. And so a thousand years before, David became king. And then his son Solomon followed after him. After Solomon, the kingdom divided the northern and the southern The northern was referred to as Israel. The southern part was referred to as Judea. That dividing line would have been just barely to the north of Jerusalem. Judea included Jerusalem in all points south. And each side had their own kings. But the southern uh, Judea, the southern half... Their line of kings followed after King David. The north did not. And the north fell into all kinds of idolatry and all kinds of stuff. And God allowed a judgment to come against them. The Assyrians came and basically in 722 carried them away captive and uh, left some of them there, but then carried away. Um, about half of them to other places. The Assyrians had a policy any time they conquered an area that they would divide the people, take some away, but then they would bring others from other conquered areas that bring them into that land and cause the people to marry, intermarry with each other. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, The Jews who were left in the land, the Jewish people, they began to intermarry with the people the Assyrians brought in. But when those people came in, they also brought their religious practices with them. 
And Judea in the south, they stayed a little, couple of hundred years longer until uh, the Babylonians came and took away captive a bunch of them. The Assyrians in the north scattered the, those Jews. So they kind of lost their, their history, their footings. Many of them years later didn't even know uh, what tribe they were from or anything. But in the south, when Babylon took those people away, they took them to one locality, to Babylon, or that general area, and they retained their their identity. So that when Cyrus later told them they could go back home, uh, they went back to other kinfolks that still lived in the land. They're, they weren't mixed yet with other folks. And they retained their identity, and they kept following after uh, all of the Old Testament, the, uh, the law of Moses, but also the prophets and all. While in the north, they... Only whenever they, everything kind of settled, several hundred years went by. In the north, they rejected a lot of the Old Testament. They believed in only the first five books of the Bible. So what they believed began to be different. Well, you... uh, Go back then to the time when the Jews were able to return to their land. They began building their temple again there in Jerusalem. The Samaritans, they opposed that because they thought that the temple should be built in Samaria. And so they opposed it, and that caused a rivalry to begin. Plus the fact that they were believing different and adopting pagan religions into Samaria. But uh, you go another hundred years or so, and we're getting down three, four hundred years before Christ. The Samaritans just decided we're going to build our own temple. So on Mount Gerizim, which is near uh, where Jesus is here, they built their own temple. And that really drew the line between the Samaritans and or they, they, uh, they called themselves uh, Israelites, though they were only at, at most half Jews. It caused a division between them and Judea in the south. And no, oh, and and as this was settled, the Jews settled again in the Galilee. So by the time you get down to Jesus' time, you have Jewish people living in the Galilee. You had half Jews or mixed people living in Samaria, and then you had the Jewish people living in the south. And they wouldn't go through Samaria because they had uh, fought against them. They had introduced idolatry into the land. They built their own temple. And, and yet here you have Jesus saying, 
I'm going to go back from Judea. I'm going to go back to uh, the Galilee, but I must need go through Samaria. And I'm sure the disciples are looking at him like, what? You know, no, no good Jew would go through there. You, that's like our enemies. They wouldn't go through there. Well, that's the background for all of this. And then um, I'll point out another thing here in just a moment. Uh, verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. She hasn't gotten what Jesus is saying, not yet. I think she will in a little bit, but not yet, because she's still thinking, satisfy my physical thirst. And he's talking about a spiritual need. And so that's when she said, sir, give me this water. And Jesus said, go call your husband and come here. Uh, And directing her to do that, Jesus is also getting right down to the core of what the issue is here. Go call your husband. And, and, and he's also given her an opportunity to be truthful. He gives us opportunities to be truthful. He, he always does. Um, we can either lie to Jesus, or, or and he already knows the truth. He just wants us. To, it's it's the same thing that God asked Adam in the Garden of Eden. Whenever they had both of them, Adam and Eve, had eaten of the forbidden fruit, and then they knew that they were naked and were ashamed, and they got the fig leaves, covered themselves, and ran and hid. And then Jesus comes, or God comes walking in the garden of of Eden, and he says, where are you? Where art thou? Well, he wasn't wanting to know where they were, which tree are you hiding behind? That's not what he was asking. He's saying, you have moved spiritually speaking. And spiritually speaking, where are you? And that's what he asks of us before we come to Christ. Where where are you? Meaning, who are you worshiping? What... What are you doing around this, whatever it is that you're doing? 
he doesn't know, need to know your physical address, your physical location. But he asks us spiritually, where are you? And that's what he's asking when he says, go call your husband. Well, he already knew. He already knew the answer. He's just eliciting a confession from her. And the woman answered in verse 17 and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you have well said when you said, I have no husband. You have well said. You you told the truth. You didn't try to hide it. And how many times when we come to Jesus, we come hiding. You know, we've got our closets where we've thrown all of our baggage and all of our junk in and bad stuff, and we close that door, and and we're not going to let Jesus look in there. We're going we're gonna to hide that. We're going to sweep it under the rug. We're going to oh, don't even walk on that rug. Just stay away. And we try to hide stuff from him. But this woman, she answered just, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you have said well. Verse 18, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. I would imagine at this point, she is just totally blown away. Totally. How did he know this? Has he sent spies up here to spy me out? Or, you know, has, uh, has he sent people to research my personal history? What, what's going on? And, you know, in a way, maybe that is true. I don't know. Uh, how do we know what the angels are reporting back to God about all the time? Uh, he may have his spies out watching out after us our whole lives. Um Beware, you know, lest uh, you entertain a stranger and you don't even know it, that you're entertaining an angel. I've just wondered back at different times in my life, how many times did I not know it and there was an angel there? And and I look at this and I think, was, was that angel reporting back to God? Uh, keep, was was he the one that was watching me to keeping the, the book ledger on what I did? And at the becking call of Jesus, he hands that that record over to him, and he looks. And of course, he doesn't need all of that. He's God. He knows himself what you're doing and what you've done. And Jesus, you have well said. When you said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband in that you spoke truly. Did you know that one of the excuses that we offer up to God for not coming to Christ is you don't know how bad I've been. You don't know the things that I have done. And what you're really saying is, I have done so many bad things, you can't forgive me. 
That's what you're really saying. If you only knew, well, first of all, God, he does know. Secondly, it doesn't matter what you've done and how deep it's piled, how high it's stacked, it doesn't matter. God can forgive you. God knows no sin or accumulation of sins that he can't forgive if you only ask him. You have not not because you ask not. Just ask, and he'll forgive. But we want to doubt. Oh, yeah, well, he may be able to forgive that person or this person, but he can't forgive me because he doesn't know what I, what I was thinking while I was doing those things or my lifestyle. No. All he wants is you to be honest with him, just like she was. Well, I don't even have a husband. Just living with this guy. And once you've just laid it out there, Jesus will give you the gift that he knows you need. And that is, and we go back, remember, he needed to go through Samaria. I am a, I don't, I guess I'm more of a biblical person. Because we, in the church, we get into arguments over theological things that, we really have no business arguing over because we really don't know the answer. And one of these is God's sovereignty versus man's free will. When you come to Jesus, was that God electing you and choosing you or was it man choosing God? And so we argue. Oh, man, he's, you know, he chose God. He discovered, he searched, he found, and he asked Jesus to come into his heart. And the other camp says, no, no, no. God chose you from the foundation of the world. He elected He, and you had no part in it. And I say... Both of those are wrong if you just stand on one of them alone. But what does the Bible say? It says God chose you and it says whosoever will uh, can call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's both. It's It's all of it. And I say all that to say is that God... Jesus had a divine appointment for that specific hour, that day, that hour, and that's why he needed to go. And if you look back in your life, you had an encounter with God Almighty at some point in your life that was a specific moment, a moment in time, and... Jesus met you. 
And maybe he called, but also maybe you chose. Because somehow God remains sovereign at the same time that he allows you to remain free. And you see, Jesus said, I came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. You condemn yourself when you choose not to believe. And so... Jesus came, but you chose. The biblical way of looking at it is both. God is sovereign and you've got a choice. And she answered right, and God made the appointment. And this is the interesting thing. The woman said to him, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 19, then verse 20. And remember, they're standing at Jacob's well, and Mount Ebal is on one side of that well, and Mount Gerizim is on the other side. And she said, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And she points, I'm sure she's pointing to Mount Gerizim. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. In other words, which is it? Well, we go back to the northern uh, tribe of Israel and the southern end of Judea. Judea builds their temple in Jerusalem. But the Samaritans and the Israel in the north built their temple on Mount Gerizim. Just so happens to be that's the mountain that she's pointing to. And there's another temple up there standing at the time of Jesus. It's since long gone. But she's pointing to that mountain. Our fathers say it's on that mountain. Tradition. Tradition says we need to worship on this mountain in this way. But you Jews say it's done in Jerusalem. And I love what Jesus said. Verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem Worship the Father. Notice he didn't say the worship that y'all were doing here on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, was false. He didn't say it. He didn't say the worship in Jerusalem was false. He just acknowledged that, yeah, there's people go to this mountain, they worship. There's people that go to uh, Jerusalem and worship. But the hour is coming when you will worship neither on that mountain nor Jerusalem. Well, fast forward to 2020, and here we are, an obscure spot out here in the middle of between towns, and we're, we're here, 
There's no temple around, there's a building. But know ye not that you are the temple of the living God. You, you are the temple. And when you worship God, you worship him in spirit and in truth. Don't, don't ever leave off the truth part. A lot of times in a lot of churches today, we're just all about the Spirit and, and all manner of things can happen. Just read the book of Corinthians, first and second. And uh, you may as well be reading uh, the 2020 church. Uh, not 2020 eyesight, 2020 year. Uh, What's going on in the church today? It's it's a whole lot of spirit going on, but not a lot of truth. And you have to have both. And Jesus says that the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. He said... You you have this this mixture, and beware of mixing things in. Beware of that. But we worship what we know. We know the true living God. We know. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. She she knew that from what they taught in the Samaritan area that the Messiah is coming. I know that. Who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. In other words, I am This should just send cold chills down your spine when you read Jesus say, I am. Remember the burning bush that Moses saw? He's out shepherding, herding the sheep, and sees this bush on fire. It's burning but not being consumed. And he goes and says, I think I'll go check this thing out. And when he gets near it, the voice from the bush speaks to him. It's God speaking and he says, remove your sandals from your, she- your shoes or from your feet. I'll get it right in a minute. <laughs> and, and he removes his sandals. And he says, I want you to go and free uh, my people from the Egyptians. And they have their conversation. And and just before he leaves, he says, Oh, and by the way, who shall I say is sending me? And God says, I am that I am. In other words, uh, literally that means, I will become to you what you need at your point of need. I am. I love what... 
Gil Irwin said about that. You may not know who Gil Irwin is, that's irrelevant, but he said it anyway. He said, God is the great I am. And I am the great I ain't. (laughs) That sums it up pretty good in comparison to to who God is. Um, We'll uh, we'll end right there and pick it up next Sunday. Right there and continue with this story. Uh, Does it mean a little bit more to you knowing the background of the Samaritans and everything? Um, To connect this together uh, in the days of the apostles uh, when the gospel was first going out after the resurrection of Jesus after the day of Pentecost we saw Peter uh, all the 120 were gathered together in the upper room praying and the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began speaking in tongues all different dialects and languages and they come out into the street and they're accused of being drunk And Peter, he stands up and he says, this, uh, what you are observing, uh, these people aren't drunk, seeing it's only nine o'clock in the morning, but this is that which Joel the prophet prophesied and said, in the last days I will pour out my spirit on, on people. And he begins his message and he talks about Jesus and it says 3,000 were saved. And that was a record of the gospel first being proclaimed to the Jews. Remember, Jesus gave a directive to the disciple. He gave, as the commander-in-chief of the army of the Lord, he gave the, the command. He said, Go ye therefore into all nations and preach the gospel, and baptize people. And he said, start right here in Jerusalem, and then go to Samaria, and then all of Judea, and then to the ends of the world. Well, go back to my story with Peter preaching there in Jerusalem. That was to the Jews. The next thing that we read about it, as far as a people group goes, is that the apostles had gone to where? Samaria. Huge thing. Because they were going to the very people that the Jews hated. They despised them. And then they received... The Lord, uh, many believed and were saved. From there, the apostles went to the Galilee. Same thing. And from there, they went to some of the the uh, Romans and some of the people who were not Jewish at all. The centurion and different ones that uh, believed 
and the, the story of how that went. But Jesus started it all when he went to Samaria and met that woman. And and we read next week how that she went and told others and they believed and that, that laid the ground, uh, plowed the ground, prepared it for few years later when the apostles would come and preach the gospel to them. It's all connected. So, so very beautifully connected. You being here this morning, uh, you didn't come by yourself. You didn't come just because you got up this morning and said, hey, I think I'll just go to that Calvary church uh, down the road. No. There is a series of events in your life, divine appointments, I would even say, that brought you to where you are this morning at 11 o'clock, right here. That's how much God loves you. Remember, God so loved the world. That's speaking of everyone, but that is broken down to individuals. Jesus was going to individuals. Zacchaeus out of the tree, you know, the disciples, individuals, this woman, an individual, you as an individual. Don't you praise him for that? I was thinking as we were singing this songs this morning, uh, it just overwhelmed me again that, God, you are so good. You chose me. And you forgave me. If I if I were to start telling you everything that I did before I became a Christian, you would not like me. But God loved me and forgave me and gave me a free gift of salvation. And he did the same for every one of y'all that know him and believe in him and trust in him. And if you've never trusted in him, today may be your moment at the well that he just wants you to say hey you know I know I am a sinner in my heart I recognize that you came to die for my sin and I receive you as my Lord and Savior come into my heart Lord Jesus and save me right now in Jesus name I pray and when I die take me to heaven you don't have to say those exact words. You, you know, you can't turn in the Bible and find the prayer of salvation. You can't find it. And the reason you can't is because God wants you to personalize it with yourself to Him. And if you'll do that, you can get up out of your seat and walk out of here with your whole death. That power rests in your mind to make a choice to leave this place with a new destination. Coming in here, your destination was hell. 
and being under the wrath of God and you can leave knowing that you have eternal life and no wrath of God but the forgiveness that he offers. Thank you.